praise in the precious name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Appreciate the song. God leads his dear children along. He's willing to do that if we're willing to follow. Talks about knowing his voice and hearing his voice and following after him. And that's all of us desire this morning, I trust, that we are following God as we go through this journey of life. I appreciate the thoughts that were shared in the devotional and the thing of searching me, O oh God, and knowing my heart. If there be any wicked way in me, that you would reveal it to me, that we could turn back to our God. So today I titled the message is The Will of God for Me, The Will of God for Us. And uh, I was thinking of things that are lost and things that are found. And uh, probably all of us have lost things along the way. I, has anyone here ever lost their wallet or their purse? And they desperately were looking for it. I can think of a time when I was in a city and I placed my wallet on the, on the bumper and I took off down the road and I lost my wallet. <clears throat> probably got about a half a mile down the road and I thought about it so I was turned around and I desperately was seeking and trying to find my wallet along the road but somebody else had already found it and picked it up I, I did end up getting it back and I you know there's stories there's accounts in the Bible of the one that lost a sheep he had a hundred sheep and he lost one and it says he left the 99 and he went out searching and he found it and there's also the account of the woman that had 10 pieces of silver. It says she lost one piece. What did she do? She, she death light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. The value of an item determines the diligence that we search for it. And uh, thinking of things that have been lost for a while, it was in uh, April, I think it was 14, 1912, there was a uh, big ship, the Titanic, left the coast over on the other side of the ocean, and it didn't, or maybe it left a few days before that, but anyway, on, on April the 14th, it sunk, and there was 1,500 people, or somewhere there about died, and for uh, 73 years, they were searching for that ship. They had different ways of looking for it, and uh, many people that searched and couldn't find it, and then on September the 1st, 1985, a man named Robert Ballard had some specialized equipment, and he found the sunk Titanic. And it was big news. It was a big deal that they, they had located it, got pictures of it, laying there in about 12,000 feet of water, some, uh, I think, 270 miles off the, the coastline. There they found that, that ship that had been lost for 73 years. Today... I want to try to bring out and look at something that's been, I don't know if it's been lost, but people have been searching for for 2,000 years. And that's the will of God. And it's not that it's hidden. It's not that it's concealed. It's not that God is intentionally hiding his will from us. It's maybe that oftentimes we're not looking in the right place for the will of God. I have good news this morning. I have found the will of God. It's in his word. And I want to, I want to look there at a few things that, that God tells us that can uh, 
be of a great benefit to us as his children. Turn with me to 1 Timothy. First Timothy 2, and I want to focus on verse 4, but I will start at verse 1. It says, I exhort, First Timothy 2, uh, verse 1, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and, and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. So in, in verse 4, I think we see the main will of God that we can find in the Bible. It says, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's God's will for you and I, that we're saved. If we think of Jesus' mission on this earth, it says that he came to seek and save that which was lost. So what does it mean to be saved? It, the definition that I found was says to keep safe and sound or to rescue from danger or destruction. And I, when we, you know, I think back in my own life, and before I was saved, the word saved was a little bit of an uncomfortable word for me. When I'd hear people talking about getting saved or being saved, it, it kind of made me uneasy. Um, but I, I find it enough times in the Bible that I, I think it's okay to, to say that God would have all men to be saved. That's his, that's his will for us as people, as human beings, that we would be saved. And I, as I uh, recall talking to a man several times about his salvation, and I'd ask him or talk to him about being saved, and he'd He'd always ask the same thing. He'd say, saved from what? Saved from what? And, you know, that's a good question because if we don't understand what we're being saved from, then we see no reason of being saved. So what are we being saved from? We're saved from our sin. We're saved from God's judgment and saved from eternal damnation, from, from uh, eternal destruction that it talks about in Revelation. This past week, as there was a hurricane in Florida, and we, we heard a little bit from Dennis there about Tim's being uh, safe, I think there was some concern about the John Ringling Bridge. And probably many of you know where that's at. It's the, the big tall bridge that you go across to get over to Lido Beach or the Circle. But as I was concerned about that bridge giving out, and I don't think that it did, I was imagining that Somewhat, one of us was given the job to stand there if the bridge would have collapsed. And one of us would have stood there to warn the people, do not go across that bridge because you will drown. There's part of it missing. And then if we were to do that, if we would stand there at the bridge and as people was getting ready to go over, we would tell them, stop. Don't go across there because you will drown in the ocean. If they turned around and went back, then we saved that person from death. We saved them. We, we rescued them from danger and destruction. And if, if we can get an understanding of what the Bible says, that, that 
That is what God wants to do. He wants to save us from eternal destruction. He wants to save us from hell. And 1 Peter would, would uh, basically say the same thing. In 1 Peter, or 2 Peter 3, a familiar verse that, that says this. It says, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now here we see this phrase, that God is not willing that any should perish, not one. He's not willing that any of us would perish and face eternity in hell. It says in, in Revelation, it says, But the fearful and the unbelieving, the abominable and the murderers, the whoremongers, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. It also says that whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And this is, this is what we're being saved from. And this is the way that we are saved is by repenting. Repenting of our sins and turning to Jesus Christ as our Savior. So he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And repentance is turning away from our sin and turning to God. Another familiar passage that, that uh, would bring this out, and it talks about perishing, is John 3.16. We know the verse. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And it goes on to say in the next verse, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be what? Saved. He wants to save us. That's his desire. That's his will. God's will for us is that we are saved. So how, how can we be saved? And I know this, a lot of this is, uh, I don't, I'm not speaking nothing new this morning, but I just want to bring out God's will for us as mankind. In Romans 10, 9, it's probably one of my favorite places to look on how to be saved. It says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, the Lord Jesus, and shall believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It says it again. So this is the recipe of how to be saved. Believing in our heart, confessing with our mouth, and we shall be saved. It's for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So we have that promise for us today. The will of God is that man would be saved. And it starts with salvation. And it ends with a home in glory. That Jesus promised to all that receive him. He said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus said unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. So the only way that man can be saved is by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and accepting him as our Lord and Savior. 
So that's where it has to start. The will of God is that man would be saved. Turn with me to Ephesians 5. And, you know, as, as we search the Bible about the will of God, there's many verses that talk about the will of God and the will of the Lord. And this is one of them. In Ephesians 5, verse 17, we find our second point in verse 18. We'll start Ephesians 5, maybe with uh, verse 15 through 21. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. So here he's going to tell us what his will is. The will of the Lord is this. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And I want to, I want to look at verse 18. It says, instead of being drunk with wine, we want it to be filled with the Spirit. And that's filled with God's Holy Spirit. As Jesus' disciples were, were uh, around him, and he was telling them that he was going to go away. He was leaving them. They were, they were concerned, I think, or they were they was, uh, maybe hurting to think that the one that they was following was leaving them. So in John 14, he promised something to them and to us that he was going to send. He said it like this. He said, if, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. This other, another comforter is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not. Neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but you shall see me. Because I live, you shall live also. At that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Judah saith unto him, Not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou will manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? And Jesus answered and said to him, If a man love me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which you hear is not mine but the Father which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. And here's what the Comforter does for us. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. So Jesus promised to his disciples and to us as believers that he will send the Comforter to abide in us, to be with us forever. It's kind of a members-only offer. It's for believers only. It's not for the world. And as Judas asked him, he said, how will you show yourself to us, not to the world? It's, and he, he tells us in verse 17, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him. It's by knowing and, and accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Then he will dwell with us and be in us as he said in verse 20 
I and my Father, and you and me, and I and you. So we put those three together. We see how the Spirit comes and dwells in our heart, in our life, in order that we can have that we can have this promise of teaching us all things. I think it's our duty to search the Word and to uh, study it and listen, and then He will teach us all things, and also bring all things to our remembrance. Now I like I like that. The work of the Spirit, whenever you need a verse, he'll bring it to your remembrance. Something that you've read maybe three months ago, and as, you're, as you come into a situation, he will bring that verse, that very scripture that you need for that moment. The work of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life. John 16 also says that, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. And there's another promise, that he will guide you into all truth. And we desperately need that in the world that we live in. Someone to guide us into all truth, because there's so much untruth out there. Can we listen to the Spirit and hear what he has to say through God's word? What else does the Spirit of God do for us? Why would God want us to be filled with the Spirit? In Acts 1, he told the disciples before he ascended, he said, But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. In John 15, Jesus also said that without me you can do nothing. And I think as the disciples were, were, were watching him go up, they was thinking of this spirit that would come and help them to be, be witnesses to the world around them. So the spirit is given in verse or in Acts chapter 2 at the day of Pentecost. It says when the, when the day of Pentecost was fully come and they were all with one accord in one place and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire and it set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And I think this word filled means to be controlled by. And uh, yeah, I, you maybe see pictures in, in, uh, in books and, and uh, Bibles of, of what this day, what this looked like the day of Pentecost when the, when the Holy Spirit came as, uh, as cloven tongues of fire and it set upon each of them. But we know that after they were filled with the Spirit, there was people could see that there was something different about them. They noticed that they were they were different. And that's what being controlled, being filled with the Spirit is. You're you're being controlled by God, not by your own by your own thoughts. In Acts two thirty eight, when Peter was preaching, he said, "Then Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of the sins." and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So here again we see, by believing, repenting of our sins, and being baptized, we can have the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's a gift that God gives to us as his children, as his believers. In one more spot in Acts, Acts uh, 4.31, when the church was together there, it says it like this, when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. 
So as they were filled, they were controlled by the Holy Ghost. There was a boldness that was present, that was, that was coming out of their life, that they were able to do things for God and be a, a witness for him. And, then, and we can look at where they were in a little bit further along in Acts 6, where they were looking for to adore, uh, appoint deacons. They were looking for men that were full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. So what is the evidence or the fruit that we see from a Christian that is filled with the Spirit? It says in the, we know what the fruit of the Spirit is. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance against there, such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another and envying one another. And also, we can read in Romans where it says, if any man has not the Spirit, he's not one of God's, or something to that, that effect. So yeah, God gives his Spirit to us as believers. And I've shared this verse before, but in Luke 11, When I ask, how can I be filled with the Spirit? How can I have the Spirit of God present in my life? In Luke 11, verse uh, 10, it says, For everyone that asketh receiveth. Well, actually, verse 9. And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, he's talking about us earthly fathers, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Do we see that? God's not going to, he, he says in Psalm 84, 11, that he will withhold no good thing from them that walk uprightly. And having the, being filled with the Spirit is a good thing. It's something that he desires for us, and it's something that we want. It's something that we need in order to have power to live a victorious life on this earth here below. Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians 4. We'll look at some more of God's will for us. First Thessalonians 4 and verse 3 I'll read it first it says for this is the will of God so if we're ever searching for the will of God we need to turn here it says for this is the will of God even your sanctification that you should abstain from fornication it goes on to say that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor not in the lust of concupiscence even as the Gentiles, which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us into uncleanness, but into holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. What does it mean to be sanctified? It means to be set apart. 
It needs to be set apart for God, to be holy, to live by God's word and by his will. So verse 3 says it very plainly. Even your sanctification, <clears throat> but you abstain from fornication. And fornication is any sexual relationship outside of a husband and wife that are married. That is fornication. And I know Darren shared last week a little bit about uh, yeah, about remarriage and, and all of that and how that's adultery. And that falls into this category. We're, so if we're wanting to be in the will of God, we should abstain from fornication, any kind of sexual sin. And he goes on to say in verse 4 that everyone should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. And what it means, I, I, I think, to possess his vessel is our body. We need to, to have this body under control in a way that it brings honor to the one that it belongs to. And we know who this body belongs to if we are one of his. It says, What know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So we belong to God. We are the temple of his Holy Ghost. Therefore, we need to glorify him and possess this vessel, this, this flesh that we live in. That we can, we can bring honor and glory to him and be a good, accurate representative of, of who, who he is. And then verse 5, it says, Not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, which know not God. And I think that is uh, in lustful passions, self-gratification. If it feels good, do it. That's kind, of the, that's kind of the mindset of the world today. If it feels good, we'll do it. But that's not to self-gratify. That's, that's not what God calls us to do. That's not his will. And it goes on to, to bring out the last point in verse 6. It says that no man go beyond defraud his brother in any matter. And that could be in a sexual way or in money or any, anything else. That we would take advantage of someone else. That's not the will of God that we would do that. We can, we can read that in the, the Ten Commandments as we, we see our relationship with our neighbors and how that should look. But we don't defraud our brother or our sister. So what is the result of being outside of God's will? Of defrauding someone? It says the Lord is the avenger of all such. And that, that word avenger I think is to bring judgment upon to, uh, we read in, in uh, Hebrews 13 that, that uh, God, whorem all whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. And it also says that in Colossians 3, it talks about the wrath of God coming upon the children of disobedience. So the next time we're wondering what the will of God is, we can think of this, our sanctification, that we live pure holy lives like it says in 7 for God hath not called us to uncleanness but unto holiness he therefore that despises despises not man but God who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit so we see that connection of being a believer and having the, the spirit of God living within us and how we're rejecting that if we're not if we're not being obedient if we're not living by what God's will says to us 
In Ephesians 5, we, we've already read that, where it, uh, it says to be filled with the Spirit. And a little bit further down, it would tell us, submitting yourselves one to another in fear of God. And I believe that it's the will of God that we're submitted to Him. And we can, we can read that many places, particularly in, in James, where it says, submit yourselves to God. James chapter 4, <clears throat> it says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. <clears throat> he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you devil-minded. <clears throat> be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. This idea of submitting is not popular. It's not, it don't go with, with having my own way and, and uh, doing my own thing. But submitting to God and others. It says submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And then it goes on to say, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. And they go, it, it, we could read on better, than, but we get the headship order. We see God, the son, the husband, the wife, and then there's the children. And it says, children, obey your parents, for this is right in the Lord. So we, we see this submitting that needs to take place in, in our lives. First Peter, <clears throat> and you don't have to turn with me to all these scriptures. I have, it says, 1 Peter 2.13 would tell another area that we need to submit. It says, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as to them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. And what does verse 15 say? For so is the will of God, that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as a servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. So here we, we have the idea of submitting to the authorities. And that's, that's again, that's not a popular thing that we, that we are facing in America today with submitting to the authorities that are above us. But what does God say? That's, that's his will that we do that. And by doing that, we may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. By the way that we live, we can put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. And I know that there's a clause in Acts that would tell us, and when they were trying to preach, it says we ought to obey God rather than men. We obey the authorities unless it goes against the word of God. I think there's a, there's a clause there that we can find, and I'm not sure where that's at in Acts, but that's what it says. Hebrews, and I, I think we, yeah, we was borderline to that whenever we were asked a year ago or a year and a half ago to not have church services. I'm not sure if we, if we did the right thing there or not by, by what we were told to do. Hebrews 13 verse 17 is another submitting. It says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. 
So again, we see obeying and submitting ourselves to those that are watching out for our souls. And we probably maybe think about pastors, but I, I think as, as, uh, as mothers and fathers, as we're watching out for our children's souls and we're trying to, to help them and trying to guide them, watching out for their souls, it's, it would be good for the children to submit to that, to, to take correction. So it's God's will that we are submitted to him, to each other, and to the authorities over us. And it's God's will that we suffer for our well-doing. 1 Peter 4, 19. This is probably not something that is taught a lot because it doesn't feel good. I'll start reading in 1 Peter 4, <clears throat> verse 12. It says it like this. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet, if any man suffers a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall be the end? What shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? And here it says, talking about the will of God, it says, Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God, commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as to a faithful creator. And we can, as I, as I looked at First Peter, it seemed like almost all of his teaching was about suffering for Christ's sake and how we're to handle that. Do, can we, can we uh, well, it says here, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some th strange thing happened to you. Can we, can we recognize these trials and these, these uh, sufferings as something that's from God? It's his will that we, we face these things. And why would he have us to face those things? The result of our suffering is in 1 Peter 5, <clears throat> verse, uh, verse 10, I think it was. Yeah, result of our suffering. It says, but the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, Make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. So it's to strengthen us and to settle us and to make us perfect. That's what the suffering is for. Can we see this when we're suffering not for what doing something wrong, but suffering for doing something right? Can we can we see that as something good? Jesus taught it that way as well on the Sermon on the Mount. What did he say? And this is, I struggle with this. He says, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. What are we supposed to do about that? He says, Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Can we be rejoicing and exceedingly glad about 
when people are falsely accusing us. It's hard. I have three more that are all found in 1 Thessalonians. We won't spend much time. I see it's, it's time to, to close. 1 Thessalonians 5. Talks about the will of God again. Verse 16, it says, Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So there's three things that we see here. To rejoice evermore. And rejoicing, I think, comes from that fruit of the Spirit, joy. The joy of knowing Christ and having our sins forgiven. And it says to pray without ceasing. And in verse 18, it says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So, what is the will of God? To be thankful. To be thankful. So the challenge for myself and each one here today is where are we in the will of God? And there's many other things that it talks about being the will of God. This whole book is the will of God. But let me read something in 2 Timothy 3 that would uh, reflect being out of the will of God. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, Incontent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. Unthankful, unholy, disobedient to parents, all these things that, that it says will come in the last days. So am I in God's will today? Am I saved? Am I sanctified? Am I filled with the Spirit? Am I suffering? Am I thankful for all things? Psalmist said, teach me to do thy will, O Lord. And that's, that should be our prayer. And we should do the will of God from the heart. That's what it says. It says, servants, be obedient to them that are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of heart, in singleness of your heart, as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as the Lord, not unto men. Doing the will of God from the heart, as as unto God, not unto men. And that's that should be our desire as we as we go from here, as we experience his his salvation. How can we prove that good and perfect will of God? It says. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So there's the recipe of living out the will of God. Please thoughts us meal for prayer. Father, we pause before you at this time. We thank you, Lord, for allowing us to gather here this morning.
fulfilling is your will from your word. I pray for each one in this room that we know you as our Lord and Savior, that you, your will is for us to be saved. I pray that each one here could be saved. Could be trusting in you, your precious blood, believing you have forgiven us and given us eternal life. Lord, it's also our, our prayer this morning that each of us would be filled with your spirit. It would be alive for you. That we could we could make a difference. That we could be salt and light through you living in us and working through us. We thank you for allowing us to be your children. We pray that we could be sanctified. That we could be set apart from the world around us. That we could be living lives that would reflect you and us. That would be free from sin. Be blameless, spotless. That we could be ready to meet you when you call us home. When you come again. And as we think of the other things of suffering and, and being thankful and all these, Lord, I pray that in being submitted, I pray that we could take these things to heart as we seek to be acceptable in your sight, knowing that we can look to your word and see what your will is for us this morning. We thank you most of all for dying and rising again that we could have eternal life. We thank you and praise you. Jesus' name we pray.